Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This podcast is brought to you by Telegraph Local. TelegraphLocal.com, the web's only real opinion-free breaking news platform. At Telegraph Local, our team reports and delivers real facts for real reporting. In this day and age, facts are extremely important. Facts matter. Real news matters. The only real place to find these facts is on TelegraphLocal.com. So if you, like many, many, many others, are tired of the same misconstrued reality of the world and of the current aggressive political landscape, come on over to TelegraphLocal.com. We'd love to have you. Read, comment, share. Telegraph Local, your opinion-free news headquarters. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Today is Thursday, July 23rd. Welcome to a special edition of Telegraph Local Politics Weekly. So yesterday on the show, we welcomed special guest Michael Medved. We asked Michael three questions. Uh, those three questions were about the fall of the nuclear family in African-American communities, the future for the Democrat leadership, uh, the problem they had calling the violence in the major cities and the unrest we're seeing right now, and also what he thought was going to happen in the upcoming presidential election. So today we thought we'd bring someone else on that might have a slightly different view. Uh, we all love to hear different views on the show, and his name is Hank Seinkoff. Hank Seinkoff and I talked briefly yesterday for a few minutes, and he, uh, he has a style to him, a style that I like, a style that I briefly enjoyed uh, in, in our conversation, and I thought he'd be a wonderful, wonderful guest. Uh, Hank Seinkoff is known in many circles as a master political strategist. He's worked with so many notable campaigns, including Bill Clinton, including the White House. In fact, he's worked for an estimated 700 different political campaigns. Pretty good, he thinks, that Hank got his, uh, his career started by cutting corn beef. Funny how we end up in life, right? We start at the very bottom, and next thing you know, we're on the top of the world. So uh, I think we have Hank on the phone with us right now. Hank, are you available? I sure am. How are you doing today? How was your audience? Good, man. How are you? How was, uh, how was the day yesterday? Everything go nice and smooth and... And, uh, Life and, is and just a bowl happen. of cherries, my brother. Life is just a bowl of cherries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or a box of chocolate, right? So, you know, I know you you uh, you called in a little bit early, so you you sat through that that really boring introduction, man. But so yesterday we had uh, Michael Medved on the show. I'm sure you know who he is. The guy is is known in in uh, he's a household name in many circles. Um, and we asked him a few questions, and he gave some decent answers to him. But I know that you um you probably have a different. Uh, idea to an extent, I think, or a, a different response. And so I guess getting into it, man, you know, the, the do you really think that the fall, I think what is it, 70% plus African-American homes now lack a father that has kids? Do you think that's leading to, do you think that's causing problems in the African-American communities at this time? Well, look, the breakdown 
of of uh, family structure. I'm not the I, I would be the first person to say it has something to do with the breakdown of society overall. There's a reason why we have those units, uh, but I think that all that does is is uh, is exacerbate already existing levels of income inequality, make it less likely for that to be uh, broken up. Uh, it also does a lot to ensure that there is limited intergenerational shift of of uh, of monies and resources. The uh, strictures of HFA, um, um, mortgage uh, uh, mortgage guarantees, and the uh, abuse of them to make money for people in the inner cities rather than helping to create uh, opportunities for people to buy homes or reasonable homes or decent homes, and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's it's a complicated picture, but the end result is we are now all paying the price, and we can lie to ourselves and tell ourselves fibs about what could be, what might be, but those are facts. Just the way it is. You know, I, I haven't heard that FHA spin. I, I, I spent 11 years um, in finance, and so I'm very familiar with FHA. And FHA is a, it's like a first-time home ownership program, right, to where if you've never purchased a home yeah. or if you haven't purchased a home for a long time, you have the availability to get a right. 100% loan, guaranteed loan. Um, it seems to me that would Correct. be the first, first thing that – I mean, FHA, it seems, would be geared towards inner-city home buying. Um, are you it, saying it, that that's supposed to be in – it was supposed to be that was the original intent of the of the law when when HUD went in the housing business and was created in the 60s. Uh, HFA was to be a vehicle to ensure that black people and those who lived in inner cities could buy properties. And what happened if there's enough history and literature now on it, um, you know, what happened was something quite different. Yeah, they were, they were put into places where they could live in inner cities in substandard housing that they paid a couple of extra points more on mortgages. Because no one wanted to really insure those mortgages. And the, the, there's, this, there's a new history. There's not a new history, but there's a new book written by a serious scholar uh, on the history of HFA and the housing programs in this country. And it's a clear pattern. Even when you put pl- things in place to reduce discrimination, where discrimination increases exponentially. Any country where you have people living in housing and they're more worried about whether they're going to get bitten by rats than whether they can get up to go to school in the morning, is a, is a place where there are problems that have to be remedied. And that I don't want to see the American dream destroyed. I want to see it reified. And we need to be thinking about that very carefully. So FHA is it's a government program, right? So it's, it's, it's run by the federal government. Do you think that having uh, the federal government having control over some of these programs is an issue? Do you think it was a, in the private sector we still have the same problems? You still have the same problems in the private sector. The difference is that the private sector – um, without question, it influences public policy. If you don't believe that, you have to look at the number of laws being passed around the country to destroy the, the, the ability for people to unionize, to bargain collectively, the destruction of regulation that, that governs uh, business activities, particularly in the areas of environmental policy. And if you want to think about 2008, all you have to do is go back to, uh, to, the, uh, to the 2008 meltdown all you have to do is go back to the idea that somehow regulations only apply to some, but not all. Put carried interest on the list. Put a favorable tax code to those at the very top rather than a favorable tax code to people in the middle. And what you have is a recipe for what's going on in our streets today. So I, this is my you – know, I had a, a, a heated discussion the other day with a friend of mine. He was talking about how, how public housing has benefited so many. And I, I agree to an extent that it has. I think there's a lot of problems with it. Would you um, – would you – describe public housing as being the tenements of the 
of the two thousands? I think that's a that's a that's a bad. Uh, I mean, it's a, I understand why you why someone might say that. Uh, they're not related. Tenements existed so that landlords could make money and they so they could house people who were coming into cities in significant numbers, um, and had housing needs. And um, and if you look at old story tenements, they were five floor, actually six floor walk ups, not five. And um, they were able to you could crowd people into significant amounts of space. That was not the purpose of publicly supported housing. Publicly supported housing was to provide people an opportunity to live in decent surroundings, to create reasonable lives, and to move forward with them. My, my family, some members of my family lived in public housing. So the idea that these are the new tenements is, uh, was not the intention. Had they become the new tenements? The answer is no, because new ten- the old tenements at least had some sense of shared structure. These facilities do not. They're not supported. The landlords were required to try to keep up tenements before they, they allow them to be burned down for whatever reason. The landlords here were supposed to be publicly supported. And the truth is that the federal government has failed in its commitment by not keeping it at least for the last 20 years. So you mentioned um, destruction of regulation. Do you think that, um, and we're, we might be going off topic a little bit here, but, but I want to, want to hit on it since you, you had mentioned that. Do you think that um, deregulation is a positive thing or do you think sometimes it is, or do you think there's a, a certain regulations that benefit more than others? There are some regulations that are required. And there are others that should not have been that should there. There are some that are required that should be left in place. And there are others that are not required and are onerous to particularly to people who can't afford the who have neither the money nor the time as resources to invest in trying to comply or deal with exceptions to the regulations. For people who can afford fancy lawyers, not a bad deal because you got something to fight about. And then you can find remedies both in court and through regulatory agencies. There is a whole sub government that functions. Um, in many of these agencies, there are client relationships that the clients are not necessarily the public, but rather those being regulated. There's enough literature and scholarly data on this stuff. Um, you know, we used to refer to them as sub-governments. Now they're much more complicated than just calling them sub-governments. And these regulations are either are used by people who are regulated in many cases to better their own conditions when they can. There is no blanket idea. You know, if you just take down the regulations, the truth is, yeah, you take down the regulations, the market stores, that's probably what's happening right now, <clears throat> would be my hunch in, um, would be my hunch is what is occurring on Wall Street right now, overall. Well, you see up and down, probably when, probably when regulations, the Trump administration reduces regulations, in some circumstances, the numbers go up, and then the thing comes back to normal again when we realize what, what is going on in our economy. Sure, sure. So do you think there is an alternative solution to public housing? I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it really – if it serves the purpose it was supposed to serve originally because it seems to me that the high crime in inner cities is always located near a public housing project. Um, do you think there's a better solution than just making these project houses? Um, requirement for the federal government to stop lying, including congressmen on both sides of the aisle, and to start doing what it intended to do and what that housing was created for in the first case, which is if you're going to support it and you're going to do something about it, then you do not let the buildings turn into garbage by, refute, by, not, by not supporting them in a, in a way that, um, that um, in fact, allows the buildings and the property to deteriorate, which then creates the condition that says it's okay to abandon them. That's not So do you think... 
do you think that that if they put say public housing in Chicago had a private security team, do you think that would make it any safer? Um, I think you have to talk to police officers in Chicago, but there's enough stuff written about Cabrini Green. Another, and there's a great, there's a couple of great books um, about uh, about other neighbors in Chicago. One written by a, a uh, social scientist named Patillo that that merit reading. Uh, could Chicago have been different? The answer is yes. Was the real battle there a political one as opposed to a concern about human uh, human <laughs> services? The answer is likely yes too. No, I think everything right now. And then there's the whole- a question. That, then there's a question about about allocation of resources. You know, who gets what and when? And how is a is how budgets work. I mean, the budget of any municipality or any political entity is the most political document of all, and determines determines the priorities of, of, of the community. Not just because they're good. I mean, there are no let's be clear, there are no value neutral priorities. They occur because politicians make decisions based upon interest group activity, and frankly, interest group activity is part of what's destroying democracy. With the uh, with the increase in the cost of campaigns and the uh, and the failure to regulate unregulated money, what do people think is going to happen? You know, I, I think for a long time we've everyone struggled with the, the special interest uh, part of politics, right? The uh, you pay me enough money, I'll go, I'll lobby, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll make sure we uh, we get what you want to do, what, what what you want done. Do you think that special interest is a good thing? I, I mean, I guess in sometimes it, in some cases it could be, but overall, do you think do you think it's beneficial? I think you have to define what special interests mean. I also think you have to define what's special about them, what's an interest, two separate two separate issues, and then I think you have to decide how decide to figure out. And political scientists have not been able to do so. What public policy really is? Who defines what it is at the moment? Not so simple. Yeah. You know, no, we tend I to take on. We we tend that we tend uh, governments in the United States or, uh, you know, democracies tend to function. Uh, you know, it's kind of muddling through. They really don't deal with problems until their problems become absolutely overwhelming, and then they're in flummoxed about what to do. <clears throat> it's not simple. Then they they seem to be in a in a scramble to to try to come up with a solution with never never really leaves them uh, when you're scrambling to find a solution to fix a, a quick problem or well, they, a big they, problem. They overreact, then they have to correct, or they don't act at all, and they don't correct. It is, you know, we see that we see similar things going on with respect to uh, to present problems. Society, this society is experiencing. It's not this well, not nothing new about this stuff. Seems to always be guardrail to guardrail. <clears throat> Uh, All right, so we're going to yeah, we're gonna take a quick virtual break. We'll be right back, guys, with Hank Seinkoff. Stay tuned. And we are back with Hank Seinkoff, a master political strategist in many, many, many circles. We've had a really good first 15 minutes. We've talked about public housing. Um, we've gone into special interest groups, veered off a little bit into the FHA, and I think we had a very well-rounded discussion. Hank, the, 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 and this is where I think your views may differ from Medved's yesterday. The failure for democratic leadership to, to stop this violence in these major cities, and even you have to admit the vast majority of the violence going on in Seattle, Chicago, New York, uh, these are all Democrat-run-led cities. Do you see that as being an issue, the way they've been run? I mean, a lot of these, these, these cities have been Democrat for a long, long time, and it seems the problems are, have yet to, to fix. In fact, they've gotten worse. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, that's so simple. 
Democrat cities. We have effectively reformed most of those cities and got rid of machines. That was one of the great gifts of the, uh, of, the of a younger generation 40 years ago. So, so Democrat-run cities. Well, not to blow anybody's brains out, <clears throat> but the, the reality is that with the great inversion, and there's enough literature on this too, of young people returning to the cities and the suburbs becoming much, much different than what we thought they were. It is young people who are raised and getting college educations and liberal arts educations and coming to the cities as part of the gig economy who are now more overall in those cities. Because they're yeah, the old thing, you know, my, uh, my, uh, my family comes from, the, most of them served in the military in Vietnam. In fact, all my uncles did. And one of them said one time that, that made a lot of sense to me, and, and may or may not be true. I kind of believe it said that, that the Republicans seem to go fight in Vietnam and the Democrats seem to go to college. And now you have an influx of universities that have mainly Democrat-run um, colleges because simply all the, everyone that teaches there, every, every person it has that, that Democrat mindset. And what we're doing is we're turning out a bunch of kids um, that have only heard one side of an argument or have heard that one side of the argument pounded into them so much that that's all they really understand. Do you, do you see that or no? Well, I, I don't, I don't know that that's true. What I do know is that, um, is that more young people and there's data on this too, <clears throat> have moved to the cities over the last, let's say 10 years. And they've changed the, the even cities that were more conservative in their voting patterns. I, they were voting for centrist Democrats or sometimes Republicans have now moved further to the left because the voting patterns and we live in a democracy. Um, and that movement is, is continuing unabated in many cases. Why? Because the, other, the rest of it's just not working for them and they have a generalized resentment because in some cases they were, this is, this is anecdotal in my opinion, not based on fact, they have an unrealistic expectation that somehow a college degree would guarantee a particular life and a particular way of, of living. So you have people who are acting against their own interests in some cases, if you think about it from a conservative standpoint. By the other side of the, of the, of the equation, I believe in, in bipartisanship and I believe in people doing things that are good for society overall, not necessarily based upon party considerations, nor on social class consideration. And in that regard, both sides have failed, significantly so. This is not a democratic problem. All you gotta do is look at the Trump tax reform bill. It's disgraceful. Carry interest, things that anybody, right or left, would find aberrant, remained in place. So, just the way it is. And the destruction of federalism has a lot to do with all of this. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I do agree with you on that. So, so I have a lot of friends who are, I mean, I'm in my 40s now, and they're still, same age, still paying off student loans from 15, 20 years ago. What's the problem there? How come we have, is it the university is charging outlandish amounts of money? Is it the interest rate on the student loans? Is it the payment terms? Is, is it because kids are just staying in college for, you know, eight, nine, 10 years now? What, what, what do you see the problem with the student loan issue? <clears throat> student loan issue is a disgrace by any measure. It was not, and I blame uh, Bill Clinton for this, the president I worked for. Um, the student loan program was created if memory serves me, in the 50s by an extraordinary uh, military commander by the name of uh, Dwight David Eisenhower. And the purpose of the National Defense Student Loan Act, as I recall it, I may be wrong, uh, was, to ins- was to try to increase science and technology students, people going into those areas, 
and to make it easier for people to get into the middle class by doing so. So what happened was those rates were very low when they were kept that way, both artificially and in some cases just by dint of, uh, of what, was, what, was, uh, what, the financial, what the economic conditions were at the moment. Um, they were guaranteed in many cases or processed and, and serviced by state institutions, state chartered banks, um, and other localized institutions. And now what's occurred is that Sally, Sally May has become a profit-making enterprise for, for uh, those who are engaged in it, and also paying large salaries to people who work there. And the universities now have found a surefire way to have debt finance that they have no problem or responsibility for, and that ensures that they can function ad infinitum, not having to worry about cash flow. Seems to me that that's as bad a government fix as a bunch of others, and that uh, it, it, be, it is a disgrace that we have burdened a generation or two now with the kind of debt that ensures that they can't afford to, buy, to, to live in decent housing themselves, are putting off creation of families and the next generation of people who would have brains like them. And thirdly, we are ensuring that the middle-income people are being required in many cases to pay for the housing for their children, which is depleting the possibility of moving wealth into the next generation, which ensures that we will have a continuation of what we've presently experienced, except it won't just be black. It'll also be everybody else, except for the top. So college tuition over the last 30 years, 40 years has skyrocketed, right? You can't, you can't argue that, um, that it hasn't gone up quite a bit. Do you see that as inflation, just normal inflationary trends, or do you think that's just greed? I think it is. I, and we can't blame university professors and public sector unions or private sector unions for this nonsense. You want to blame somebody, you blame college administrations and foundation, college foundation people because they have found the ultimate golden, the ultimate, the ultimate gold processing plant. It's called Sally May. They get the loans, students pay them off, the colleges get paid with no exposure. It's wrong because morally there's something morally reprehensible about this. And it, all it does is, is denude the ridiculous idea that just because you are smart, you should go to college, you should get a college education, and then the, the skies will open up for you. That's not what's happening. It's well, you have happening. a lot of – It's a, it's no, a lie. A of, it's a lie. I have a lot of friends um, that still live in New York that, are, that, are in, that went to trades, right? They did electrical school or they did you know, HVAC or something, and they literally got paid right. – to, to go to school and had a job. So they had zero student debt. And these guys are now making 150, 180 grand a year, union benefits. I mean, the whole nine. And with, with zero as student debt. And, yeah, it just as seems they, to me that. Should, and I bless them. I bless them. But they are not, of, they are not the entire, you're picking one small segment, reasonably so as a comparative argument, of the larger population. The whole the student debt issue people are angry about is reasonable and they have every reason to be angry. Every reason to be angry. We should be forgiving those, those loans over time for people who go into, into professions that this society needs. Uh, I agree. Rewarding people for going to work for NASA, going to work for, for, uh, for agencies and industries with guarantees that they remain there under penalty if they don't, of uh, their loans. We should be doing exactly what the intent of the law was and expanding it, not engaging in profit-making possibilities for, for a public-private corporation on one hand and subsidizing universities I mean, think about this. Harvard has an extraordinary endowment, right? Why are people taking student loans to pay tuitions 
so that they can continue to increase their, their costs. There, we have now turned profit-making institutions using public money again, absolutely in violation of what these silly conservatives who support that system keep talking about. Because they're not really conservatives. They're something else. They're, they're convenient conservatives. They're, they're closet, closet conservatives, right? No, they're convenient conservatives because what they're doing is saying it's okay to have this system. We're not going to interfere because the banks are involved. But it's not exactly the case. So we have a sector issue. It's not a private sector issue. It has long-term implications. So we have a presidential election coming up, uh, Biden versus Trump. What's your two cents on that? What do you you think is going to happen? You think Biden's going to pull this off? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm I'm the I was one of the few uh, people to predict that Donald Trump would be the nominee of the Republican Party in January of 2016. And check the clips. I said uh, an interview with one a columnist named Fred Dicker that Trump would be the president in May of 2016, and people thought I was nuts. So I'm gonna, as, a, as, a, as, an, as a part-time academic, I'm going to make the following argument to you, and we'll put it in some context, um, away from partisanship. Critical elections occur, you know, the great, the, among the greatest political scientists in the 20th century, observers of American politics, was a guy who died in 1963 and whose theory still holds today, who predicted the South would become Republican in the 40s. I mean, he figured it out, a guy named B.O.T. at John Hopkins. And he, he, was one of the, one of the pro, he was the progenitor of a theory called the theory of critical elections, which are really historical moments. 2016 will likely be a historical election, a, a critical election with a, some kind of realignment. Um, and critical elections serve to take the steam, in many cases, as keynoted, out of the political system. If we do not have some steam taken out of this political system, said the man who predicted several years ago that we would have urban disturbances. We are going to have greater disturbances, and we're going to have much more chaos, and we can look forward to it. The economic system is not providing benefits to the many. People are getting the joke about the American dream. It's not going to happen for an awful lot of people. This idea that you can, have, you can fix the system and rig it so that that less than 1% will receive the tax benefits and others will have to pay um, it's, now, it's, it's something that people now are beginning to understand. And if you don't take some of the tension out of the system and the pressure, um, you're going to have a response that will incur governmental response, which could, in fact, change the very nature of this democracy. Simple. People have to make a choice. This is well, not about who you like. It's about what's good for America. I agree with you. I, I agree with you on that. I think we can all agree on that. But do you, do you think the violence happening right now in these major cities is, is hurting or helping Biden? Um, I, I, said something on, uh, I, said, I said something in an interview a couple of weeks ago that I still think I, still, I think now it's entirely true I said actually a month ago that I suspected that Trump would move to uh, start talking about the suburbs as a way to attract and, and violence from the, coming in the city seeping in the suburbs which is a way to bring back uh, suburban women who are fearful of what goes on in the inner cities which in many ways has uh, the tint of race and economics attached to it without question. Is it a smart strategy for him? The answer is yes. Is it Nixonian? Partially. Um, is it, is it, does, it have, uh, does it have Reagan, Reaganism to restore pride in it? A tincture thereof. Is it about Republicans versus Democrats? No. It's about fearful people versus those who are creating the fear in that, in that structure. Is it a wise strategy? It may pay dividends. It may not. 
But the idea that somehow Democrats are responsible for this, based upon what we know about economics and the, the destruction of PATCO, the, the Air Traffic Controllers Union in 1980, the uh, dominance and deregulation of corporations, which has been a problem since the beginning of the republic, the firepower, uh, the business, business interests understood that if you destroy the union's capacity to write checks and you destroy their, their capacity to function, you control more of the economy and workers will get less. In fact, real wages for people in this country haven't increased in 30 years. That's a fact. So, you know, if you cover up all of that with calls for protecting people from the great fear of the inner cities, you probably have a shot to win the election if it clicks in. You know, where we have a ways to go yet. Yeah, yeah, we still got a few months. I can only imagine what these next few months are going to bring us. It's going to be uh, an interesting uh, news cycle well, till the, November. The, the, president, the president's already told you that he doesn't intend to leave, which a lot of us suspected years ago. There's no intention of leaving because he's going to claim that the system um, did not, that the election wasn't fair, therefore he should not leave. What are you going to do then? If he loses. Said it, he, said it on, he said it on Fox News on Sunday. The Chris Wallace interview. Yeah, I watched that Wallace interview. It was a good. Wallace did a good job with that interview. I was impressed with it. Excellent interview. Excellent job. <clears throat> yeah, he's you always know, giving good interviews. I don't so. believe it. When it comes to America and this extraordinary nation that I owe so much to as a human, to the sacrifices of people who are in, who, whose names we've forgotten in Omaha, we see the the military cemetery in Omaha Beach. Uh, to those we owe an obligation. To protect the republic, and um, that's not happening right now. No, no, it's not. It's unfortunate. That's about all the time we have. Hank, so where, when, when's the next time you're going to be on a program? When can we, when can we hear that that wonderful voice again? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to be. I'm going to tape something for. I got. I don't know what's going on with me. Hold on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, audience. Um, I'm probably going to tape something today, but you know, I'm not much of a braggart, and that's not what I do. Um, but I do think we have to think these two very clearly and stop thinking in partisan terms. We really do. It's not about partisanship. No, it's, about, it's about America. I agree. I, yeah, and you've seen the last couple of years has been so divisive. I mean, it's, it's, if, you, if you vote for one candidate, you're a horrible for the other. You're, you know, you're not seeing the, the truth or the light, as they say. And it's, it's really frustrating to where we, we've been point where we hate people based on their political beliefs. I don't understand that whatsoever. Because we are not, we're not, we're not, we're not engaging in civic education. The, so, the social, the civic social structure that for many years is falling apart. You know, people make fun of Masons and Kwanins and Rotarians and all the rest. But all those people gathered together with different opinions to create something special. That was America. We're, we're, the, we're becoming what was once, once the most religious country in the world is now becoming dereligified. We're seeing attacks on Catholic churches as well as synagogues. There's something wrong here, and we need to bring back a sense of civic order. That doesn't mean by destroying people. It means by figuring out what we're going to do about the economics and the society at large. Those are the issues. I agree. Well, Hank, thanks for the show, Dad. I appreciate it. I know that um, what we've talked about today um, will bring a lot of, shed a lot of light on a lot of, uh, a lot of big issues right now. So until uh, we see you on Fox News we will, uh, or CNN or wherever you'll be next, We'll, uh, we'll hope you take care, all right? Good luck. Thank you, audience. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, thanks. Bye. All right, so you've heard it. Uh, the same exact topics from yesterday's interview with Michael Medved, and the views were different. 
uh, they were different to an extent, right? I think they still had the same coloring to them, the same vibe to them, but two completely different people with two completely different opinions. Both of those opinions, by the way, make very good sense. Realize that it's okay for two people to disagree and for society to disagree, but still get along and still not talk down to others or look down on others based on, um, on their political beliefs, just like we don't with religion or color of people's skin. It's a huge problem right now, and it doesn't have to be. We are out of here, guys.